Hello and welcome to episode number 8 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you are safe and well. Well, today's a little bit different. Uh, I'm releasing two very special episodes. Uh, episode 7 with Jeff Comenti went live earlier this morning, and I'm truly honored to have Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams here on episode 8. This, this interview was just fun. Yeah, it was the first time I've interviewed two people at once, and Larry and Teresa could not have been kinder or more forthcoming. Also joining me today is Kim Ladd from The Noodles, Phoenix, Arizona's longest-running Grateful Dead cover band. Before we get started, I'd like to take a moment and ask you to check out my Patreon subscriber site and consider a monthly subscription for access to bonus content. It includes unedited interviews and outtakes. I put together some expanded video versions of the Black Music Moment and the Sarno Music Solutions Breakdown. Uh, Videos I make here at home and hopefully soon on the road. Some community gatherings, some cool swag, and other ways to further engage with me and uh, support the podcast. So please check it out at www patreon.com forward slash the music plays if you'd like to make a one-time contribution please visit paypal.me forward slash the music plays the black music moment is brought to you by the clean store branding and apparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs technology driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. And up until this point, we've primarily featured blues artists. But today we're going to step into the 50s doo-wop world and honor the Olympics. The group was started by Walter Ward. He was born and raised in Mississippi, but relocated to to Los Angeles in the 50s. Uh, He and his cousin Eddie Lewis attended high school in Compton, where they met the three other members of the group. Uh, The Olympic sound was marked by really tight harmonies and bouncy rhythms and fun songs that kind of capitalized on the dance crazes of the day, really similar to the Coasters, who were probably the most popular doo-wop group at that time in the late 50s. In 1958, they signed to the Demon record label, and their first single shot up to number seven on the R&B charts, but uh, after that they didn't do so well and eventually they uh, moved over to the RV label. Their first hit there in 1959 was a song named Hully Gully, which is kind of a fun dance number that uh, the dad actually performed one time in 1981 uh, at the Melkweg in Amsterdam. It was kind of a famous uh, pop-up show on a night off from uh, the Europe tour in 81. Their next hit uh, in 1960 was called Big Boy Pete, and that was also performed by the dead, uh, but just a handful of times in 66, 69, 70, Uh, And again, one time in 85. We play that one a lot, and it's a ton of fun. After this, their career stalled for the first half of the 60s, but then in 1965, they recorded Good Lovin'. And while their version was the second recording of it that year, uh, it charted higher than the original and brought the song to the national spotlight. A year later, the Young Rascals would take it to number one with the version that most people are familiar with. The Olympics had an influence on other artists as well, and uh, Good Lovin' went on to be recorded by Mary Wells, The Who, Bobby McFerrin, The Grateful Dead, of course, and many others. Uh, other Olympics tunes even were recorded by John Lennon and uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Uh, the Olympics continued to perform and record all the way into the 1980s, but uh, albeit with much less success. You know, one of the beautiful things about The Dead for me is that the individual musicians in the band, their tastes in music were so varied that any style could end up in the repertoire, from country to jazz to rock and, and 50s doo-wop. So this is a perfect example of all those influences coming together. 
So here are the Olympics and the 1965 version of Good Lovin'. SMS Breakdown with Brad Sarno is brought to you by Sarno Music Solutions, producing the finest musical instrument audio gear designed and hand-built in St. Louis, Missouri since 2003, and Blue Jade Audio Mastering, St. Louis's primary audio mastering service since 1999. Uh, today Brad and I are going to spend a few minutes talking about Bob Weir and the evolution of his equipment and tone. Okay, so we're back here today again with Brad Sarno. How are you, my friend? Good, Rob. Good, man. I'm glad to have you back as always. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, we've talked a lot about Jerry, a lot. Uh, and uh, I wonder if you might be able to uh, share some knowledge on Bobby and his guitars and his the, kind of maybe the evolution of his tone. I know that he pretty much started out really simple. Yeah, well, I think early on, both guys had pretty simple approaches, you know, just guitar and loud, clean amplifiers. Um, I think one thing that seems to have always stood out for Bob's approach was uh, he would go for a guitar tone that would be the combination of more than one pickup on. Like when it was a Gibson ES-335, he would have both pickups on. And that lends itself to uh, a more complex and chimey tone, which really uh, was a nice compliment to Jerry's very focused tone. When, when, he, um, when he was doing that, there's like no effects hardly. It's just like the hollow body into a Fender Twin, right? Yeah, maybe you know, a little amp reverb, basically for for quite a while there. Now, by the end, it was far, far, far from that. With that, his tone was so different. How? What changed? How did he get to where he ended up? Uh, I, I think Bob had a definite uh, infatuation with processing and all the cool effects that came along with guitar technology. I think for a real long stretch there sort of a definitive bob tone would be a, a real bright and chimey and full tone with some real smoothing compression uh some shimmer coming from some chorus um some delay just to put some dimension a little bit of echo in there and a little bit of reverb um lots of stuff but you know 
it's interesting because in recent years, uh, Bob has come around back to uh, pedals and tube amplifiers, a little bit more of an old school approach. He has ditched compression. Um, and he kind of got back to basics a little bit, but with some really cool modern stuff in there. But the things I like to point out with Bob are um, the things that help him get his sound and feel. And honestly, a lot of that I find is his right hand technique, um, his use of uh, what for a long time he's been using the Dunlop Jazz One guitar pick. It's a smaller rounded pick. Um, Bob does lots of palm muting uh, to control and restrain the the real bright sizzly shimmer that he has set up electronically. Um, so a lot of that comes from his touch and um, his choice to use multiple pickups at a time, which gives that extra layer of chimey complexity to the sound. The the pick makes that much of a difference, huh? Pick is huge. Pick, and I, I as much as I'm into the gear and the electronics and find it to- absolutely critical to the whole equation, it, it all starts where the pick hits a string. Um, that touch right there is the voice. That is just like a singer's vocal cords. And so what happens right there with the hand, how the skin and the pick touch the string, how the palm touches the strings, um, the angle of the pick, all of that, it, that's creating the initial voice. And everything after that is basically just processing and amplifying what you did there. Got so we, we can't overlook what happens at that initial stage. It's it's you wouldn't think that a tiny little piece of plastic could make that much of a difference in what's going or graphite or whatever it may be could make that much of a difference in what's going on. That's really really cool. Well, thank you as always. I appreciate the insight and uh hopefully that shines a little light on the on the guitar world of Bob Weir. So Brad, thank you very much and we'll uh, we'll talk again next week and you can tell us a little bit uh about some of the guitars that he played. Sounds good. Take care, Rob. All right, thank you. There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you today by the Authenticity Academy, offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going, or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help. www.authenticity.coach Today we're heading out to the desert to talk to Kim Ladd of Phoenix, Arizona's The Noodles. They've been a staple on the dead scene in the Valley of the Sun for some time now, and Kim shares a little bit about the band and the community that they have created out there. Okay, hello. I am here with Kim Ladd of The Noodles down in the uh, Phoenix, Arizona area. How are you, my friend? I'm well. Uh, I'm doing well. Nice and temperate down here. We get a little rain, uh, which we always enjoy. And uh, yeah, things are good. So yeah. tell me a little bit about The Noodles. Give me a, a little brief history on on when you guys formed and how you formed. Well, we, we formed, uh, John John Reuter and myself uh, started the band together. Uh, it literally came out of uh, he and I going to the same bar for happy hour on Friday nights, and we had, we had gone forever, and I generally would be wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt of some sort, and one night he... He kind of came over and said, "Hey, I, I see you're, you know, you're a deadhead." And he said, do you, "Do you play any music?" And I said, "Yeah, I play a little bit of guitar." And he says, "Well, he says, do you know any tunes?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I know a couple of tunes." And he said, "Well, why don't we go over to my house and noodle?" So uh, the name, <laughs> the name was cast uh, that evening. Um, we were a few drinks in at that point, uh, so we went over to his house and jammed. And and, and John had. 
about eight or nine years prior to this, and this was 1990. This is probably 1996 or or, or early 1997. I'm talking about now. John years, had wow. um, had a, a woodworking accident where he cut off uh, uh, his in his middle finger and his little finger at the both at the second knuckle. On his left hand. On his on his left hand, on his right. fingering hand. Right. And so he um, he kind of adapted to playing slide guitar um, for all of those years, for those six or seven or eight years in between. And w- once we got together, he started to pick uh, to pick up uh, uh, standard guitar again and playing. Uh, uh, making two finger chords or, you know, and, and, and adapting to, uh, adapting to, to his, uh, disability, I guess you'd say. And so, um, that's how it began. Uh, we went over to his house and played uh, the one night, uh, the next Friday, um, he, uh, invited a guy who worked with him. He's a instructor at Roberto Van school of Luthier here in town. Um, he invited a guy to come over and play bass guitar with us. And so we had a bass guitar the second week. It was either the third or fourth week. We had a drummer come over and, um, you know, it, it started from there. Our very first show was in his backyard and we decided to invite a bunch of friends over and, 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 uh, play a couple of sets of music and see if we sucked. Uh, <laughs> and uh, th- we got a pretty good reaction from uh, from the friends in the backyard, so we decided to take it to the next level, which was to approach a, a bar here in town where we uh, knew the knew the ownership pretty well, and and we petitioned them to let us come down and play on Sunday afternoons. Were you playing and, pretty much all Grateful Dead tunes at that point? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I was trying to think about this and I think the only non grateful dead tune that we've ever actually had in rotation was, uh, can't find my way home. And Good choice. just because I, I, it was a song that I used to play and I, and I, and I just suggested that we played it. We dropped it after two or three or four years of playing, but, uh, and it's always been now, it's always been either Grateful Dead or, or, or Jerry Garcia band stuff ever since. And are you pretty much, uh, what's your instrumentation? Do you have one drummer, two drummers? Uh, <laughs> we've had a lot of drummers, Rob. <laughs> we've had one drummer, we've had two drummers, we've had a drummer and a percussionist. Um, we've done a whole lot, but, uh, just in the last, uh, in the last, uh, nine or 10 years, it's basically only been, it's basically only been one, one drum kit. And then two guitars, bass and keyboards, two guitars, as well? bass and keys. Right. Got right. In, in, let's say, let's say this pandemic's not happening and it's just a normal time. Right. Uh, how, how often would you all be playing? Well, we had a we we, are, we have a residency in in a in a in a club here in town, so it's uh, it would be every Sunday, uh, with notable few exceptions, and then uh, because for the most part we're all working stiffs, um, we would do potentially maybe a, a one or two Friday or, or Saturday night shows a month if we could get, if we could uh, book those. And would it would it just be limited to to like the Phoenix area, which is a very large area? But do you ever head down to Tucson or anything like that? Uh, we uh, we haven't played a show in Tucson in many many years. Um, uh, we we 
we did uh, the Skull and Roses Fest uh, two years ago, a California show. Uh, but no, for, for the most part, we stay close to home. Yeah, I would. You know, I went. You know, I went to school in Tucson, and there was sure. uh, there was. I don't remember there being a dead band. I was just getting into the dead, but there was like a dead bar called Gentle Bends where we'd go and every Tuesday night people would bring their cassettes and listen to them. And there was, there was a nice, there was a nice little community down there. Yeah. Tell yeah. Me, yeah. Tell yeah me I think I, actually, I think Tucson has more hippies than, uh, well, they're more concentrated anyway. I guess the greater yeah, Phoenix sure. area might have more hippies, but they're so spread out that they don't spread out congregate, yeah. uh, as, as readily. But, uh, uh, but Tucson has a real good, uh, has a real good community down there as well. Let's talk about your approach. Uh, maybe you specifically as a guitar player, but more the band. You know, the Noodles. How, yeah. how do you how do you approach the music as far as interpreting the Grateful Dead? Well, uh, we're kind of a unique uh, uh, format per se. When we started out, I did almost a hundred percent of the lead vocals. So uh, even though I'm the rhythm guitar player in the band, I. I I at the time I sang uh, most of the well I most sang most everything, and it, to this day I still sing a lot of the Jerry tunes. Um, so we don't necessarily stick to the to the hard um, vocal program. Our keyboard player does uh, a lot of singing uh, of uh, non-Brent tunes, so to speak, as well. So we we play the songs. We don't necessarily stick close to the uh, to the format, and, and so that kind of, you know, in my opinion, it's the songs uh, that that really made uh, the lasting impression on me, at least. Yeah. Um, Robert Hunter doesn't get enough credit, uh, although of course Jerry, without the two of them, it would never have been anything, but the, the songs are the, are the thing. And so we play the songs. Uh, we, we stick loosely to the format. We're just, we're kind of a loose outfit that plays grateful dead songs on a Sunday. <laughs> and, and we've got a really, really nice little community here. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I'm sure with you guys doing it every Sunday, I'm sure for some people, that's their church. It's Sunday afternoon. That's exactly what they, the, that's what the they call it. <laughs> yeah, can, 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 you, can you speak to that a little bit about your community and, and, and your regulars and whatnot? Sure. Um, you know, over the years, we've, we've seen people come and go, um, but, uh, but there's, definitely a, uh, uh, there's definitely a core community that would be out virtually every week uh, when we play. Uh, you see new faces coming uh, all the time. During this layoff, I've seen a whole lot of hits to our Facebook page of people uh, who probably are unaware of our playing. And hopefully once we get back on, on it again, they'll come out as well. Do you and people find- are real close, you know, but, but people right. are, uh, it's a, it's a, it, this is going to be hard because we're a hugging community. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. It's yeah, tough. we're not sure how we're going to pull that off. I, uh, early on, when this thing happened, I, I, I read something on Facebook or whatever about how you can how you can hug properly, and I sent that out to the group. Uh, but now I don't even think that applies. So we're going to have to work would, that out. It's it's tough. I mean, when we did go out on the road, we didn't even see our fans. You know, no backstage, no access, no. No, hell, we didn't even hug each other. We barely spent any time together in the dressing rooms. You know, it's just not the right time to be doing it. Yeah, um, it, it's it's sad but true, and uh, yeah. uh, it's kind of uh, 
there's no telling when that's going to let up, uh, honestly. Um, but, you know. You're, you guys, you know, being in, in the Phoenix area, Scottsdale, Tempe, and all that, you got some a lot of college students down there with ASU mm-hmm. and all that. Do you, do you see the younger people coming out and checking you guys out over the years? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, those are the new faces that I was talking about. And I think uh, for all intents and purposes, they're children of deadheads. Um, you know, you know, my dad used to listen to this stuff or, 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 uh, and, and you can always, you always sort of know that when you see a, a youngster out there in their early twenties and they're singing along with you, right. <laughs> when they know the words, um, you kind of assume that that's that that's where they got it is that they were brought up in in that uh, with that format and so yes um and obviously with school being out um i'm not sure how when we're going to see those folks again either <laughs> right right yeah it's yeah. it's it's crazy. Well, I'm sure they're going to be out again and you know that's the one thing the if if we're finding a positive in this is once we're all able to come back out and play, I think business is going to be really, really good. I think you're right about that. And I, I think that's going to be true of, of virtually everything. I'm sure. And I'm sure everybody down there is going to be looking forward to coming out and spending Sundays with the noodles again and being a part of your community. And I, I really want to thank you for taking the time today and, and sharing a little bit. You know, it's nice to hear from all the different scenes around the country and, uh, We appreciate you representing the Valley of the Sun today. Well, and I appreciate the opportunity, Rob, and we appreciate uh, and and look forward to uh, seeing the Dark Star Orchestra come uh, back to town soon as well. That's Kim Ladd from the Noodles in Phoenix, Arizona, everybody. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, Rob, and everybody be safe out there. We'll see you again soon. All right, take care. You too. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast today, I would kindly ask you to head over to our subscriber site at www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays and consider a monthly subscription. Uh, With each episode, you get all kinds of bonus content, including some unedited interviews and outtakes from the interviews I do, uh, some video features from our other segments, some cool swag, uh, some community hangs, and a whole bunch of other ways to further engage with me and support the podcast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays. If you would like to make a one-time contribution, please visit paypal.me forward slash the music plays. Our featured conversation today is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, Grateful Sweats is your first stop for subtle dead designs. Check them out at etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats and see for yourself. Designs only other heads will get. You know when you're wearing that shirt that has a state of Tennessee with Jed in it? and someone says, nice shirt, you know that they, 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 they get it. Uh, a subtle dead cap makes its point, and no one does sweats like Grateful Sweats. Hoodies, sweatpants, joggers, tees, and much more. Subtle dead designs at etsy.com slash shop slash grateful sweats so this may be the most fun i've ever had doing a feature segment Uh, i I don't really know larry and Teresa nearly as well as my other guests um i I don't really know them at all i've met them once or twice but uh this conversation was so comfortable it felt like we've known each other forever larry campbell is the ultimate musician's musician he is a master of guitar mandolin pedal steel slide and violin and his playing crosses all genres including country folk uh, blues and rock, really everything. 
Uh, amongst his many, many credits are seven years on Bob Dylan's never-ending tour. He's acted as Levon Helms' producer and director of the Ramble Band. And the list of people he has performed with or produced is, is a who's who in music, including Elvis Costello, Paul Simon, Emmylou Harris, Roseanne Cash, Phil Lesh, and, and so many others. Uh, really a lot of my favorites. Uh, Teresa Williams is a dynamic multi-instrumentalist and singer in her own right. And she and Larry have performed as a duo since before they were married in 1988. And she's also recorded and toured with artists including uh, Peter Wolf, also with Lee Von Helm, David Bromberg, Hot Tuna, Phil Esch and Friends, and a ton more. Uh, this was really interesting. Uh, they both came from very different backgrounds, but and they're both so knowledgeable about all styles of music. Uh, I found it really interesting to hear what a powerful role the Grateful Dead has played in both of their careers. There are a few internet glitches or little stutters in this interview, and for this I apologize. Um, but I, I hope you enjoy listening to this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. So here we go. Okay, I'm here today with Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams. How are you both doing? Fine, Rob, and yourself? I'm doing great. I want to thank you guys so much for being here. I noticed that you are in different rooms, and I'm assuming you are in different locales as well? I'm in Peckerwood Point, Tennessee. That's actually the, that's actually the name of her community down there. Wow. Heckerwood Point. And, and you're up in New York? I'm in uh, Woodstock right now. Yeah. Right on. Um, I know you had a little rough time earlier this year and you tested positive with COVID and was a little rough. Are you all recovered and doing well now? I am. Uh, you know, I mean, it was March, so that's almost a year ago. And I mean, the only, the only really noticeable residual is I'm having problems with taste and smell still. still. It hasn't really come back, you know. Wow. Yeah. Um, it Almost seems a year be, later. Yeah. It, it, wow. Recently, it's. It, I was able to smell a banana the other day, and I thought, "Wait a minute, something's going on here." And my, you know, I've. I'm doing this. Um, uh, Justin Guip, our drummer and engineer, his his wife Mary, um, really strongly recommended this aromatherapy thing, you know, with essential oils, you know, and as did doing, the ENT. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of other people have, and. I, so I finally got myself to do that, and it seems to be helping. So I'm hoping this is all going to Um Well, let's get there. I, I, I've had the chance to watch a good amount of the documentary, which is incredible, by the way. And uh, thinking about this, the purpose of this show and talking to professional musicians about the impact of the Grateful Dead, and then watching your documentary, I, I saw a lot of love for the music of the Grateful Dead and a lot of connections to that world. So I, I just want to jump right in and ask you both, uh, when each of you, when was your first experience with the music of the Grateful Dead? And I'm going to go to Teresa first. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, 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 it is truly laughable. I mean, when I was in high school, whatever, whatever year that, you know, trucking was basically what I knew of the Grateful Dead. And from what I understand, the South was not their huge domain. You know, I, I, I learned that later, so I didn't feel so bad about it. Um, I did not grow up, as I quip in the video, uh, the series, um, with bands like the Grateful Dead rolling through the cotton patch. You know, we, I, they just were not rolling through <laughs> my neck of the woods. And I did not, I would, I, my brother's friend, my brother's best friend, um, who I didn't know until my brother uh, was in a fatal accident in 
1986. And I never met his best friend because I was in New York by that point. His best friend was a total deadhead, um, uh, would use the rent money to travel to California to see the dead or wherever they were playing. I found this out after my brother's passing. And then um, really it was when maybe Phil was opening for Bob or they were, or they were, they were on the same ticket. They won. They took turns opening. I think is how that went. That right, ticket. They did. And um, that's when I was probably first exposed to it up close and personal. And then, um, you know, they invited me to come out and sing with them, <laughs> with Phil at the, um, Oh, come on, come on. Um, what's the theater out in uh, San Francisco where I first played with Phil? Was that the Greek? No. This is pitiful. Let's see. Oh, no, the War, War, Warfield. Oh, Warfield. Thank yeah, you. The, the Warfield. Warfield. I had it right. Okay. But, but uh, you know, I started digging down deep into them and and uh, we were on the same bill larry and i were playing with phil um when when um he was on the same bill with levon i think the first time i actually played with phil was at bonnaroo so i had the crash course the grateful dead uh well we did the show with rob baraka at the guitar festival i'm i'm remembering this i'm sorry as i'm i'm filling this in i'm going back i love it uh, the first time I sang a Grateful Dead song was at the Guitar Festival in New York. And Larry and I and Rob Baraka sang uh, two tunes, two of their tunes. And one was um, the beautiful prayer one. Come on, Addicts of My Life. And, and then, you know, then I'm hooked. <laughs> Doing that, I'm totally hooked. And Larry did a... The, oh, it was just the electric baritone and us uh, singing, and it was. I'm, then I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I'm and I'm I'm reeled in for live now. <laughs> and, and you're reeled in there because of the harmonies. Is that what really grabbed you in that instance? Well, that song is I, I, okay. I'll be trite. It's magical. That I never ever get tired of singing that song. It's it's like you're taken into the heavens every time you sing it in any permutation. And the song is so beautiful. And it, that that's another thing like, like, you know, the dead played these songs in so many, I'll use the word again, permutations and um, diff, different venues and different recordings sound different, you know, but they all hold and, and, and they might be in any state of whichever state of uh, enhanced um, being <laughs> enhancement <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of the moment. But, but that the songs hold up across these other um, scenarios with different people singing them, different bands, uh, uh, different voices. It, it, they hold, they're just gorgeous. They and hold up gorgeously and, it just started, I started going, okay, I get it. I get it. I see what all the fuss has been about. Uh, yeah. And so I started going down into it. Yeah. And, and the, the, all those songs, like you mentioned there, they're all so open to interpretation as well. You know, they can be done in a country style, a jazz style, a Latin style, a traditional yep. style. These songs are just there and open to be interpreted any way, any way possible, really. 
Um, what about you? Larry? And how beautiful is that? And they speak, oh. and they always speak. Yeah. How how beautiful is that? It's, For me, a lot of that. Sorry, was, uh, I, that was no. It's I love it. For me, a lot of that. You know, people ask. The music is amazing and. The improv and the way it can be played differently, but when it comes down to it, for me personally, it's the lyrics. You know, these are stories; they're words to live your life by. They're things you can just grab onto emotionally. Um, so the lyrics are big for me. Uh, what about you, Larry? When did you first get turned on or, or hear them? Even just what was your first yeah, experience? Yeah, my first experience was. Um, <laughs> I hate to be so uh, cliche, but I had dropped the tab of acid when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe. 14 or something like that and my friend, my mother is not listening to this <laughs> my mom is but as long as it's not me talking about dropping ass right, cool. yeah right uh, but this was the time you know it was the middle of the 60s and and um he was very uh, very young uh, and didn't know any better <laughs> yeah that, that's a whole story but my friend who i was doing this with had anthem of the sun and um and you know, I mean, I really hate to be cliche about this, but that connection in that state of mind with that record was mind blowing. Um, that was my first realization that this band existed. Um, and then uh, it wasn't long after that, I was walking through Central Park and um, there's a band setting up at the, um, at the band shell and, um, you know, we're all just grooving and hanging out. And, uh, and next thing I know, it's, it's the Grateful Dead. And that was, they were just given a free concert there at the band show. And, um, uh, so you didn't have to climb the fence for that one. Cause, um, the airplane had done it right before them or, um, the, you know, bands that were a few bands that were playing the Fillmore that would come and do a free show at the band show. Right. And, and, um, and I saw those guys there, and I just, I was blown away. I'd never seen anything like it, you know. I didn't even know that, that the, the anarchy of the music was what, uh, the controlled anarchy of the music what was, was what really drew me in. It was, um, and there were these flavors of um, all the stuff that I was uh, captivated by, you know, blues, country, uh, folk music. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, straight ahead rock and roll, um, R&B, you were getting these, like, um, all the stuff was being mixed together. And, and it was my first, the sort of, it was a sort of embryonic realization that this stuff could live very happily together. All these genres could live happily together, you know, and, um, Freedom! yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, subsequently, I saw him whenever I could at the Fillmore. At um, there was a concert at Gaelic Park, in uh, in Yonkers that blew me away. Um, and then, to me, when Working Man's Dead and uh, and uh, uh, American Beauty, American Beauty, yeah, when those records came out, that that was life changing to me. Um, because I, at the time, you know, um, as I mentioned, I was you know, the roots thing, the, the bluegrass, uh, country, uh, gospel, folk, blues, um, just each one of these genres was uh, under my skin, you know, and, and um, American Beauty and Working Man's Dead, when uh, those records and uh, the the 
the Brown album by the band, um, uh, they were they were showing me a path where you can take all these genres and find a way to mix them up and do something uh, completely original with that mix. And um, and I sort of forced myself to not uh, listen too deeply to what to those records I already had because I feared it would interfere with my quest to mix these genres in my own way, if, if that makes any kind of sense. It totally makes sense. So a lot of these influences that you had are very similar to Bob and Jerry's and Pigpen's. You already had those influences of the old blues and the folk traditions before you heard the Grateful Dead, or did they help? Yeah. So I'm of the generation, as millions of others are, where the Big Bang was uh, February 9th, 1964, on the Ed Sullivan Show. Right. There's the Beatles. And um, that, and I literally mean the Big Bang because that, that threw me into the universe of music. So I devoured all that stuff, all that British invasion stuff. And then I started seeing these names, Chuck Berry, Buck Owens. And then I'd, I'd follow, who are these guys? You know, and I'd follow that and then find out the blues guys and the country guys that these people were associated with. And then as I heard that music, Hank Williams and, and you know, uh, Doc Watson, uh, Robert Johnson, you know, all these people kept Gary, uh, Gary Davis, you know, uh, I couldn't get enough of this stuff. I went and I, you know, I didn't have the money to buy the records. I'd go to the Donnell Public Library and 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 just borrow all this stuff. And and, awesome. and um, then, but I was still, uh, you know, the uh, FM radio and even AM radio in some cases back then. You'd hear these great bands, you know. Um, I, and somewhere inside of me, I knew there was a way to 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 scratch of all these genres that were floating around my head. And then I'd hear guys like the dead doing it, you know, or the band. And, and um, I thought, well, well, you know, I, I, and rather than for me, rather than emulate or imitate those guys, it, they were giving me license to try to find a way to do something similar myself. Was there anything specific that you might've taken from Jerry or Bob's playing style that, that really grabbed can you? I, and, can I, can yes, I, can I, can I interject this before we move forward? Um, People would would say to me, "How did somebody like you from the Cotton Patch end up with the Grateful Dead?" Because really, down here, I kind of missed the whole psychedelic, all of it. You know, I missed right. most of that, except for what we were getting on TV, the radio, and all those people Larry was naming off. I just grew up with that. You know, Buck Owens. Uh, the blue, cause I'm down here on the edge of the Mississippi Delta. We're technically in it, but we're on the Eastern edge of it, the Northeastern edge. And uh, so I'm close to Memphis and Tupelo and Muscle Shoals and Nashville and, and uh, uh, Kentucky. So we've got all of that. And then the church country gospel, blues gospel, uh, the black gospel on the radio, when we were on the way to our white church in the Sunday morning. Uh, so I, I had all that mixed. So when I got into the, when, when I finally did the deep dive into the dead um, at quite a late age, um, it was home. They were into the same stuff I was into uh, from, from back, you know, all the way, all the way back to the beginning. So it so, was, it, 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 it was a shock to me. I had no idea they had all those roots, you know, that that's what they were digging into. 
So it was it was a match made in heaven, as it turned out for me. So when you hear American Beauty and Working Man's Dead I'm, for the first I'm time, I'm totally at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I then of course I start reading, you know, Jerry biographies and Phil biography, and and just realizing that. Um, and then I also uh, this I just interject. You know, I have a theater background. I studied theater because I got music at home. So you know, I didn't need. Uh, I got that at home and I end up now doing even, and with the guys with Phil, Barbie, whatever I'm doing, what I learned in the living room with my parents and in the church pew at church. So, so I studied theater because I, I loved telling a story and acting and, you know, that was just kind of all part of it to me. Uh, and it really clicked with Phil because he has this performance artist background. I, re- I didn't realize that until like some of the things that didn't make sense to me about the dead, I start piecing together that that performance artist thing is in there. Right. Like a lot of the, yeah, it, it, it is an element in there and that clicked too. So anyway, back to asking Larry um, <laughs> specific, I just want to get that before we no, move so on. That, that That's Thank how you. it wove in for me and, and became, and feels at, you know, I feel at home there in a way that I would never have expected, you know, from afar until I dug into it and, and saw what the meat and potatoes was That's of the right whole on. thing. Yeah. Right on. And, and, I'm, go ahead, Larry. And, and to answer your question about Jerry, well, first of all, Bob's, um, Bob, Bobby had this unique rhythm style, you know, uh, nobody played like Bob, you know, there was nothing around that. Um, I mean, his, his rhythm playing was so fluid but so rhythmic at the same time, you know, it was, it was fascinating. Um, but uh, Jerry, as a lead guitar player, uh, was the first guy, you know, back when, when I first heard these guys, most guitar players that I was gaga over um, were blues-based, you know, uh, the, um, the pentatonic blues scale, you know, that, that was rock and roll, you know, and most of rock and roll was that, you know. Um, Jerry was the first guy that really turned my head with melodic playing, uh, with more, um, uh, more, I mean, he was playing in, he's playing scales that I didn't realize could fit into rock and roll, you know, and, and, um, uh, and almost storytelling in his approach to it too. You know, he, there'd be, um, I mean, a lot of it in retrospect was, was noodling, fine you know but but he'd get into these um streams where he would middle and a real end you know and and uh and that was a journey and and um when 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 he was in that stream there was nothing like it and and um you know he had a vocabulary that that no one else had at the time and um and again i think that came from um his exposure to uh all that roots music, you know, it was there was a bluegrass mentality to it. Um, I mean, he had been a banjo player before right. that, you know. So and and um, and and you know, his pedal, you know, I still to this day that pedal steel work on "Teach Your Children," it's uh, it's kind of perfect, you know, for that for that. Uh, it's not Nashville. Uh, it's not. Uh, um, it's a, again, it was a different vocabulary right. and, and um, that really fit into this um, this melding of of American folk music, rock and roll and country music. You know, it just it, 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 
something that blows me away about that, and I just found this out last week on the show. I did had my brody Brad Sarno, who also makes the uh, the black box for the pedal steel, uh-huh. uh, this preamp, and he's huge pedal steel guy. I did not realize Jerry recorded that track for them. He had barely been playing the pedal steel for like three or four months. At yeah, that uh-huh. that's crazy. <laughs> wow, that he was wow. that good that yeah, fast. Right, right. And I had no idea. And and it, technically, it's not. It's it. it it's the technicality of it has nothing to do with it. It's the heart and the, the it works. It, yeah, it, 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 um, I mean, he, in, in, in 97, you joined the never ending tour with Dylan. And I did. Those, yes. You know, that's those first few years. That's right after, you know, just within a couple of years of Garcia passing away. And, and that, that tour in his, first of all, in his book Chronicles, he, credits the dad for his approach to that that the, 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 the excuse me blah, 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 that that band took you know opening up the catalog getting away from the 20 songs he'd been playing for all those years expanding the set list taking it out with longer improvisations and jams and not yeah. all that was that a conscious thing that you were that could you feel that you know can you speak uh, it, to that it, influence yeah um yeah and he would um there were sometimes when we would rehearse before a tour um, we would, he had some recordings of, of, uh, the dead version of some of his songs and he'd want us to emulate that for this, for that particular tour coming, you know, um, um, he definitely, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it, it was cool. Um, and, and he would have us do things like the, uh, the dead version of, um, 12, 12 gates to the city and, um, um uh, uh, uh the one you sing teresa <laughs> uh if Lamb? i had my way uh uh, oh. uh samson and delilah yeah, yeah, samson so, and delilah. Sorry, yeah. yeah sorry yeah yeah you know we would actually listen to uh um, um alabama getaway you know these these tunes um he just pulled them out every once in a while and he'd play a dead version of it or or a dead version with him and um and that's where we would get the template from to do it ourselves you know i know he had a lot of respect for those guys and um it seems like that experience of touring with them um really rubbed off on him and and and, uh you know uh the the whole bit of like we would do with phil and like those guys would do when um when i saw them before i knew any of them you know uh uh get out on stage and just start noodling and making noise and, and uh, start sort of messing with your instrument and playing things. Bob wanted to do that a lot, you know, and then bust into a song from there, you know? Uh, and, and David Kemper for a while, you, you overlapped with Kemper in that band. Yeah. You yeah. had pretty much just come straight from the Garcia band when he joins, when he joins the never ending tour. Yeah. Uh, did he ever talk about the Garcia thing or did it, or in a musical sense, was his playing with Garcia something that helped you guys push those jams and improvs out a little further? I think it probably was. He was a great drummer, great yeah, drummer. He's my, one of my favorites. And his, um, yeah, um, he could really hold the groove, and then he could just, uh, he could react. You know, if um, if Bob was playing something, uh, uh, you know, that whole synchronization thing that happens with with. Uh, that would happen with the dead and with Phil and everybody, you know, where um, you're listening 
to everything that's going on and, and reacting to it. You know, David was really good at that. You know, um, um, I mean, Molo is the king of that stuff. Yeah. Well, he is. He's <laughs> such a fun guy to hang out with, too. I love John. I'm going to have to get him on here one day. That'll be a great yeah. conversation. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Uh, after Jerry died, you know, a lot of deadheads really gravitated towards that never-ending tour, you know, that maybe because Jerry or obviously the dead had been playing some Dylan tunes. Jerry or Dylan at that point, like you mentioned, Alabama Getaway, he's doing Friend of the Devil. Uh, for a long time, you guys did Silvio, right. which was co-written co with Hunter. Yeah. And I think right. those tours really important for the deadheads um, to help them with the grieving process almost, you know, that uh, tour was there. Could you uh, feel that? I, 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 I never even thought about thought of it that way, but there were definitely deadheads following us around, you know. Um and uh That's the first time I I ever heard of a deadhead. Really? Ser seriously. And I asked, what are why what are who are these people spinning in the back of the room? <laughs> what what is that? I had to have it explained to me. I'm I you know, people can laugh at me and go, Oh, you're not really a fan, but yeah, I didn't know. I can't help it if I didn't know. You know, yeah. they were looking for something at that point. The dead tour was gone, but here's a guy who's it's got so this amazing sweet. catalog of songs. He's also playing dead songs, he's playing songs that the dead played. It's it was a place for them to go, and it was very important for a lot of them. That's, and you know, I'm it's interesting you never saw that because I was wondering if, you know, you could feel that and, you know, that was helping with their grieving process or was it just the deadheads projecting it themselves onto you? That's very well said, though. That's that's yeah. beautiful. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lair. No, uh, it, it, it was they made it fun. You know, uh, uh, it was, you know, that whole thing of us being up there making music. It goes out to them they react to the music and then it comes back to you and then you react to their reaction and then it goes back out to them and they react. And you know, that, um, that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, let me, let me just say that when I had a taste of that, then when Teresa and I started working with Phil, that was, I, I really got it. That whole scene. Yeah. You know, I really got yep. that, that, musicians connecting with the audience audience yes back to the musicians and back and forth. well that 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 had always been that that's the only reason that i am a singer to this day that that your thing you're just describing and i remember the first moment i felt it and knew that you know this was my life this was my life calling and and i'm just gonna throw in here in the middle of what you're saying larry um to stand on stage with Phil and friends and be in the middle of uncle John's band and the, and we're all in the, the, everybody in the room is in this space together and to burst out with those harmonies. It's, it's, yeah. it's heaven on earth. <laughs> it is bliss on earth. And you, and, and especially the harmonies at the very end, it's just, and we're all in the space together in a beautiful way. Okay, I had to get that in there. No, I'm I'm so glad That's... you said that. I, and you know, and I've heard you, the two of you, in the duo form and with the band. Um, I've heard you all do some great versions of dead songs. You know, you, we mentioned Samson, even though it's the Reverend Gary Davis tune, and Sugary, and the amazing, beautiful addicts of my life. You all do. I'm not sure what other ones you may do, but do you have favorites that to perform of the Grateful Dead songs? Addicts. I knew your addicts would be. <laughs> yeah, it's a given. 
It's a given. And Uncle John's band is a total given. I know, I know it's like almost cliche to say it, but it's true. It's why it's it's a cliche is because to, I'm not going to say it again. It's just heaven on earth to be in that space with everybody in the audience singing every word with you. They all knew the words much better than I did. It was terrifying (laughs) when I first started with Phil because they knew the words. And to this day, they probably know the words much better than I did. But, um, you know, yeah, if they were very welcoming to me, I have to say, if you, if I think if you put your heart and your truth, anytime I've ever gotten in my own way on stage with, uh, I'm veering off here probably, but anytime I've ever gotten in my own way on stage, uh, where you're thinking too much or something, or you're not in that space of just kind of bliss and truth or whatever, uh, they'll let you know. And that, and I think in the beginning, I was just you know, so down in the music that it, it, they were very beautiful. The audiences were very beautiful to me. So I, I, I really appreciated it. And if I ever, you know, you're having a bad day or you, something else is bothering you and you bring, if you bring that on stage, unfortunately, you know, you're a human biological being, it happens. They'll let you know, you know, that, and, and you know it too. You don't even have to wait for them to let you know. You know it was a bad night. You know oh, yeah. that you just weren't in that flow space. And that's miserable for us and for them. Yeah, can they yeah. can't okay, all be I, great. I, you have I any favorites? Larry, you have any favorites to play? Uh, I have to agree with addicts. You Same know, ones. that's that's I mean that's that's the you know, the um if you ha- if I had to have a number one Grateful Dead tune, that would be it. You know, but fortunately <laughs> I don't have to, but that would be it. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I I agree with Uncle John's band and, and um um uh, Oh there's too many. Uh, How can you even yeah, you know uh, it's too hard a question. Um um uh, I can't wait much longer, Melinda. The sun is fading. Uh, uh, what's the name of it? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, everybody knows it. Which uh, one? Um, uh, I got to get down. Got to get down. Got to get down. Oh, Cumberland Blues. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cumberland Blues. <laughs> yeah, Cumberland Blues. That's, you know, pretty, with all that's the a pretty songs, happy one right there. With, with all the songs, you know, I can totally realize relate to you not yeah. being able to remember the names yeah. of so many I'm, I'm terrible with titles man i'm just <laughs> terrible with it i always have been you know it's all right if you remember but the you chords you're in good shape yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah you hear the first two notes you know where you are that's all that matters yeah um um uh broke down palace man oh, oh come on let's go come on to hearing Teresa sing china doll Get out okay. Of oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, it's one man. after China another. Doll. And you know, yeah. oh, you're going to make me cry. I had a friend who committed suicide fairly young and uh, my very best friend. She was like my, my own skin. And I just could never I cry right now thinking about it. I could never get that out of my head when I sang China Doll. That's a great song. I'm grateful for that, that song. And that's yeah. probably the root of why you did such a captivating version of it. Oh, you know? oh I, I can't believe it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, slaying me even in this moment. Okay. Y'all proceed without me. <laughs> um, you know, on, on the podcast, I've talked to so many different musicians who were influenced by the dead. And some of them like me ended up making their careers and for lack of a better term in the dead cover world, some or that I've been with or in offshoots of the bands with the original members and other ones are playing in different genres but they're influenced by the dead but the, the two of you kind of seem to exist in all three of these spaces because <laughs> you, know, oh, you run the gamut i love that so can, yeah. what to you to the two of you what's the difference between playing if is there a difference between playing for a dead leaning audience a, a dead centric audience 
versus a traditional Americana or country scene, country audience? Do you feel a difference when you're playing for the deadheads, if you will? Hmm. I, I personally feel a little freer when I know. I was going to say, audience. yes, yeah. I was going to say the same. Yeah. And there's a warmth. Yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a warmth that is just going to be there. There's it's the a forgiving pick, audience. There's let you the, go for it. There's the world. As long, uh, as, long as you're telling the truth, yeah. as long as you're getting out of your own, you're not there to be you, you know, you're bare, there for the music. Um, and I had, uh, uh, when, when we, we did the Radio City with, uh, uh, we, we were just being guests, I guess. And, and maybe Phil was there. And um, it was the night that Diana Krall and Elvis, um, Elvis were doing it with him and she was sitting on the side of the stage i guess it was at the sound check and she was about to go out and do um i can't even remember it was one of the big songs and and she was really nervous and i hope she wouldn't mind me telling this and she was really i mean like holding my hand nervous and i said diana uh these people she was afraid they wouldn't accept her coming out of the jazz world it is the way i interpreted it she may have a different take on it but uh, she said, uh, you know, if it were my own show, I wouldn't mind. I'm doing this, but this is, this is for them. And it's like, we both said, you know, they know the lyrics better than any of us. And I said, as long as you're telling the truth, they, they'll, they'll love you. As long as you're telling the truth in the song, they will love you. And you do that. So nothing to worry about. Of course, she was fabulous. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, you know, we would play, you know, Teresa and I, as you know, had a great decade with Levon, you know, and, and um, playing those rambles every night. And um, and that the the either in Levon's bar and the rambles or on the road shows we would do that was it was still a marginally different audience, though, than than um, what we would experience with Phil, you know, and um and that one tour we did where we we played with Levon and then we played with Phil. You know, it was a double bill. Phil Levon Helm Band and Phil Eschen Friends and Teresa and I were in both bands. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and um, um, that was uh, that was mind blowing. It was uh, for sure. It was a direct. There was there was this obvious uh, linking of the two styles. And and there was also um, an interesting difference in between uh, between them. You'd sort of have to put on a different hat when you when we went out there with Phil, you know. And and the coolest thing that came out of that was Levon knew Phil, but he 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 garnered uh, uh, as Levon put it, a new respect for the way Phil played. You know, he said that guy's really playing something, you know, and and um, and. Uh, it was right after that we were doing the Electric Dirt record, and and I had it in my head. Wouldn't it be great if Levon, if we could find a dead tune that Levon could put on this record, you know? And and then it hit me like a ton of bricks, Tennessee <laughs> Jed, because Levon is Tennessee Jed, you know? And, and um, yeah, um, and we ran through it a couple of times and he nailed it. I mean, he just sang it like that song should be sung, you know? <laughs> I remember seeing you perform it, actually. I got to see that one time. Um, he, uh -huh. I'm going to skip around, actually. I was going to ask this at the end, but I'll, 
this isn't a Grateful Dead question, but we're there. And this one, my fans will enjoy it or the listeners, but this one's for me because um, Levon's one of my heroes. And I don't know if you can see it. There's a picture of me and him. Right on the wall. Yeah. Oh, cool. He's he's absolutely one of my heroes. That was a year at Bonnaroo when we played on Thursday and our tour ended. And Levon wasn't playing till Saturday. And I hung around for two days just oh. to get to, just to get just to get a chance to meet him hey, for the first time. I hear you. I <laughs> hear you. And it ended up being me and him and Molo. And he took me back to his trailer, hung out, just let me pick his brain. One of these kind of moments for me. Yeah. Um so my question, I guess, and it's for me, what's it like to play with that groove? Oh, man. <laughs> we, we can see each other, so you can see my face. But it's, I just, it's oh. its own very unique experience. And, and I'll tell you, man, you've played a shuffle before. You played shuffles all your life, man. But when you play a shuffle with Levon, you are finding out something different. And that it's just like swinging in a hammock and, um, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not about finesse and it's not about calisthenics and it's not about fireworks. It's not about anything. <laughs> well but, said, Larry. Yeah. Well said. This incessant, uh, soulful groove and, um, and that's the way he played with everything, you know. And yeah. I, I always like to say that Levon was one of those musicians where there was there was no distance at all between who he was and what he did as a musician, yeah, I, you know. And and if you can, if you have that, you know, many do to some degree. Uh, 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 I mean, all good musicians do to some degree. But but um, uh, when it's that. As I said, you know, Levon wasn't a. Uh, uh, I mean, there were there are drummers that could run rings around him as far as uh, their technique and finesse are concerned. You know, is concerned. Uh, Levon wasn't that, but but that that uh, he was incapable of being dishonest in anything he did. And to me, there you go. It was it was all there about the feel and and the grease that was yeah. In that field, the, the grease that came along with it. <laughs> Thank it. you for answering that. He was, you know, there's not many musicians that I cried about when they died, but Levon was one of them. I mean, he was just one of my true heroes. Um, you're, you, the, for the two of you, your most recent things that you guys have been working on is focusing on your own songwriting. Um, and I'm wondering if the dead musically or Hunter and Barlow lyrically have had any play or any influence in, in what you're doing with your songwriting. Yeah, I want to hear this, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> um, how could they not, you know? Um, you absorb the stuff that moves you. And then when you're trying to venture on your own creative path, all that stuff uh, guides you down that path. Um and I mean, Hunter's poetry is um, forget about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, you know, it was Teresa that. I mean, after all the years I've been listening to the Dead, really paying attention to the music, um, when Teresa started pointing out these phrases and and verses and. Um, 
lyrics to some of these songs to me. I thought, wait a minute, I've been missing this. <laughs> and and because uh, that's what she heard. That's the first thing that got to her. Right. The, um, she's always been words first. And then the music, and for me, it's well. The music is there. The music is is your canoe, you know, and the words ride on the canoe. I don't know how to express it. The music is definitely there, and it's doing things to you while your brain is getting the words. And sometimes with Robert Hunter, that just flows through you too, without like you don't have to be intellectual about it with the words. It's just this beautiful river. Also, uh, yeah, Robert Hunter, forget it. <laughs> I can't thank you guys enough. Before I let you go, if you don't mind, I've been doing this with all my guests, the world's slowest lightning round. I ask a quick question. Try not to think. Uh-oh. It's, it's not bad. We're going to go Teresa and Larry on these, okay. if y'all don't mind. And if yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. As far as the Grateful Dead goes, studio recordings or live recordings? Teresa. Oh, <laughs> live. Larry? Live. Uh, favorite dead album, Teresa. <gasps> oh, oh, they get they get um, harder. Oxamoxa, Oxamoxa. All right, Larry. American Beauty. Here's the, the here's the one everybody hates. Favorite non Grateful Dead album, any genre. I know. Um. Uh, this is out of left field. Uh. I don't know about the whole album, but Percy Sledge, Dark End of the Street. All right. Great. Larry? Revolver. <laughs> Beatles. Okay, they're going to get a little easier now. Favorite color, Teresa? Orange. I go between green and blue. <laughs> <laughs> it changes sorry. depending on your mood? Yeah, exactly. yeah I'm like orangey yellow, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, first job. First job? Your first job. Me? Anything. Yeah. Working in my grandfather's little country store with the potbelly stove, had to, they had to put me up on a uh, the old wooden coat case so I could reach the cash register to actually work. Yeah, and the, and the old farmers playing checkers by the potbelly stove. Country. That's, my first job. <laughs> That's, That's country. the truth. Larry, first job. First job was delivering newspapers in the morning, going to this little candy store on first avenue that was a low-level mob joint actually where they'd run numbers in the back and i'd deliver newspapers to apartments in uh, in manhattan in that neighborhood down there first car ah. <gasps> well my father got it for me for like i was about a, a junior in college a ford falcon ford falcon <laughs> <laughs> used ford falcon <laughs> That's mine was a used Ford bag. Thunderbird. That tells you how okay. old I am. And mine was a brand new Ford. At least Granada. you had a Thunderbird. Yeah. It was the big, ugly one, mid-70s. Not good. Yeah, great, not good. Great. It was my grandfather's. It was <laughs> and it was yellow. Did I mention that? It was not pretty. Wow. First car. A, a brand new green Ford Granada in 1970. 76, 7, something like that. Yeah. Uh, favorite venue to play? <gasps> ooh, ooh. Tough. Uh, first thing that comes to mind right now uh, is Terrapin Station. No, nothing wrong with that. So much yeah, fun. There's so much energy. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, uh, Terrapin Crossroads. Right, How does Terrapin. it go? How do they call it? Yeah. yeah. 
Terrapin Crossroads. You got a Phil's place. Yeah. Um, uh, Red Rocks. Mine too. That's the Red Rocks is a very popular answer. I is might, it? Might add. Yeah. Okay. Is and, it? Is it? I get it. Oh, yeah. I guess that's yeah. Um, two more. Uh, best city for a day off. Oh. The silence is deafening. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. You know, it 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 kind of doesn't matter because I usually end up spending it in the hotel room, just crashing because you've had so many nights in a row. <laughs> so as long as you've got it, you know, yeah, it just to, yeah. <laughs> It fair enough matter. fair <laughs> enough i had uh i had i had jeff Comenti on the other day and he and i are big golfers and i asked him that question i said favorite city uh for a day off he said whichever one has a golf course closest to the hotel <laughs> it just, just depends. What, what about yours larry favorite city for a day off um favorite city for a day off favorite city city for a day off um chicago all right yeah and last but not least when this madness is over, the first trip you guys are planning on taking. I've been missing Europe lately. Yeah. yeah. Ireland, Scotland. I've been missing those places. Italy. You know, I've just been missing Europe lately. Right on. Yours, Larry? Yeah. We, 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 um, I'm with Therese. We, um, we need to get back over there. Um, uh, although, uh, we have had some great times, Teresa and I, usually around our anniversary going national parking. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, We've covered quite a few. Yeah. and um, uh, Like old-fashioned family vacation, national yeah, park. Yeah. yeah um, a lot of that's been going on during COVID because that's one of the only things yeah. you can do, you know? Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So hiking, yeah. Hiking. hiking. Yeah. Personally, my trip is going to be the – to wherever our agent can get us a gig. Yeah, well, there you go. That's, 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 that's a given. One. That's a given. That's number one. Well, honestly, the two of you, I cannot thank you both so much. This has been so wonderful for me, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. And I know my listeners are going to absolutely love hearing this. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you both very, very much. Thank you so much. It's truly been my pleasure. Yeah, Rob. Uh, really really gracious of you to have us and this is a really cool thing you're doing and just keep going man full speed ahead right on thank you very much both of you that's Larry Campbell and Teresa Williams everybody take care be safe we'll see you out there I know I've already said it but I can't describe how much I enjoyed that conversation and I'd like to thank Larry and Teresa one more time And that brings us to the end of this episode. I'd also like to thank Kim Ladd from The Noodles for being here today. Uh, This whole thing would not be possible without my sponsors, Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and you want to contribute to the cause, please consider a subscription at www.patreon.com forward slash the music plays that offers weekly bonus content or make a one-time contribution at paypal.me forward slash the music plays any love is much appreciated as we get this show off the ground the music plays the band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team brothers lazaroff here in st louis missouri you can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I will be back again in two weeks on March 25th with episode 9. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. 
We need to get live music back out there as quickly as possible, and we need everyone's help in making that happen. Thanks for being here.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 